Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. We are excited to have a returning guest, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. We had a great uh, response from the initial interview that we did with her. So we were super excited that she agreed to come back. As you remember, and as you know, she is a licensed psychotherapist in Chicago, and she specializes in relationship and sexuality counseling. So initially in our first conversation, um, we discussed with Jennifer Finlayson Fife emotional and sexual intimacy within marriage. One of the things that we talked about is that it's not our spouse's responsibility to usher us into our sexuality. And so with that said, today we're going to discuss specifically from the context of women, how we can embrace and come into our sexuality as women so that we don't go into the relationship or marriage with that expectation. Um, so I'm, I'm particularly excited to talk about this. Lots of discussions with uh, girlfriends about how we can embrace our sexuality, um, especially within the framework. If you've grown up with a religious background, I know that can be challenging to navigate owning your sexuality and this like purity culture uh, that sometimes is, is found in faith and religion. So we're excited to dive in. Great. All right. So I want to start by discussing the good girl syndrome and how that affects many women. Um, we kind of discussed this in our last interview with you when you were actually teaching a course for men and you mm-hmm. discussed that this syndrome exists for men as well. So mm-hmm. as well. So can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit or define what the good girl syndrome is and then how that affects sure. women? Well, I think what the idea is, is that often culturally we're given the idea that the most ideal female, the most desirable is sweet, is selfless, is pure sexually, that she's kind of like a little girl, even if she's in an adult body. So that she is not a threat, that she's warm, that she's accommodating of other people. And that sexually, she maybe because she loves her husband would be sexual with him out of a loving sacrifice for him but that she's not full of desire, certainly not embodied desire, that she doesn't kind of have a vivaciousness or kind of mm, drive of her own, either sexually or otherwise. So because we kind of idealize that as the kind of ideal feminine, um, so warm, so kind, that I think a lot of women, when they move from sort of this ideal maiden idea into marriage, the idea of somehow turning on their sexuality, having desires of their own, having a self of their own that would drive that desire or longing, you know, it's much more in a frame of accommodating the desires of others, the good girl. So she may have sex out of that accommodation but she's certainly not in a place to kind of say, I like sex and 
these are the positions I most enjoy. And, you know, just to have some sense of ownership and desire, it's been kind of excised from her culturally. I just, as you first started talking, I, I just, the idealization that the perfect woman is a child, like this made me so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and I guess, and, and that's part of our culture right now is we are sexualizing our daughters Mm. And so how do we, how do we teach our daughters to not be sexualized, but also mm-hmm. yeah. embrace their sexuality in the future, I guess. Right. And I think this is a place where feminism and sexual liberalism has kind of struggled a little bit. I mean, like that we've sometimes in you know, in the 70s and so on, when feminism was emerging very strongly, and also it was kind of the sexual revolution coming out of the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of thinking that women, if they're free, can, you know, be sexually free and can do whatever they want. And I mean, on some level, I fully agree with that. But I think what was kind of happening perniciously is this sort of over-sexualization of women, which was sort of the same problem. You might say the ideal woman is the virgin, but now you have the ideal woman is sexually liberal and she will not be frigid and won't say no to anything. So I think girls and women can still be pressured just as much around sexuality now as in a pre-sexual revolution period. It's just different ideals. And if you grow up in a religious culture, you're often straddling these two contrary ideals but the thing they have in common is they're both more about how you prove to others you're sufficient and either you're sufficient because you're virginal and selfless or you're sufficient because you like to have sex and I have a lot of clients who think they should somehow be both of those things you know like I should be somehow virginal and selfless by making myself want it so my husband feels okay and it's it's the challenge of course and this is getting to your question is it's not about a self-reference. It's not about who do I desire to be. It's not about claiming your identity, your embodiment, your sexuality, your desires, and being the, the architect of your life. And so the problem with our daughters getting sexualized, among other issues, is that it's this idea of them having to earn their value. And even if they're beautiful and attractive, you know, it could give them some sense that that gives them something. But it is really a way, and I don't think they need to dismiss their attractiveness or their beauty, but for their own self-respect, they need to be careful with it because it can easily become a stand-in for this sort of overarching sense of value and self-respect that they absolutely need. So the challenge is how do you communicate to your children your deep respect for them as people or your daughters in particular And that their sexuality is good, it's a wonderful part of their lives, and that they want to be in a relationship to it in a way that's always respecting of themselves. That is not by pushing it down, nor by using it to get favor with people. So how, what's a tangible example of that? And maybe we can take it in different ages, because I think people think, oh, I love that idea. I would love to be able to have that that conversation with my daughter, with my child in general about their sexuality and about honoring who they are as people, but how do I actually have that conversation? So, you know, we had a a listener reach out to us and 
one of the examples that she gave is, you know, she has toddler, toddler little girls and they're, mm-hmm. rubbing, they're rubbing up against things or mm-hmm. exploring their bodies. So from a toddler's perspective, I think these conversations have to start pretty young in my mm-hmm. opinion. So mm-hmm. how do you have that conversation as a toddler? And then how do you transition and have that conversation as they get older? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would want to expand the frame of conversation to be about communication. What ideas or meanings are you communicating through the way you live, through the way you interact with your child? Because a lot of the meanings are, are nonverbal, mm-hmm. right? They're just, just your child's mapping your mind. So the most valuable thing you can do is come to peace with sexuality yourself. And even if you never breathe a word of it to your child, you're still shaping the parent that they see. And how you interact with, you know, social media, with your own body, with how you dress, with how you react when there's something sexual on TV, you know, they're, they're mapping how you think about these things. And so that is very, very important. I'm not in any way discrediting actual conversations, but I think that's the most important piece and valuable work to be doing. I think to get to your question in particular is when your child's two and figuring out their body and that their body's capable of pleasure to start with, absolutely nothing's going wrong. That's an hundred percent normal thing for a child to do is figuring out where she begins, where she ends and the world begins essentially. And what is hers and her body. And that sense of ownership of self is very valuable. Mm-hmm. And you can just be in relationship to it in a way that is accepting, you know, I mean, you don't have to be encouraging in the sense of, oh, have you tried rubbing yourself? <laughs> you know, obviously, but you right. don't, you, you don't have to be, and you can distract if you think it's impolite or, or, you know, excessive or something, but it's more about just celebrating them, the goodness of their body and not giving a negative response to them discovering pleasure because you just don't want to put fear in there with sexuality. Those two don't go together. Well, they actually, we do that all the time instinctively, but it actually interferes with our ability to be wise and thoughtful in our choices around sexuality because we're anxious and reactive and fear-based. And so it interferes with our ability to integrate our sexuality into our sense of self and our morality. That negative um, response may teach them a whole lot more than yes. ignoring ignoring the behavior or mm-hmm. we're just saying, oh, now you have to wash your hands, okay? Like, right. yeah, like yeah. that's, Something that's more kind neutral. of how I, re- yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Just, I just reminded me of like my son going through ABA therapy and mm-hmm. we are talking about all of the different types of, um, reinforcement mm-hmm. and at our parent sessions and they're like, you pretty much just need to ignore everything, like mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Pretty much everything. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so that early sexual want. development. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's right. That's a great point. Okay. So let's transition then talking about a married woman who wants to increase her desire. I know that you do have your online programs, mm-hmm. work, uh, courses. Yes. And the female one is the art of desire. And you kind of post a lot of different, the topics that 
you discuss, mm-hmm. and then you have some live workshops like mm-hmm. for women and, and mm-hmm. married couples. So I, you discuss a lot of the things like getting through the culture, that kind of good girl syndrome and yeah. the pressures of virtue and chastity. So say maybe we've, I guess, let's start with that. How mm-hmm. do you kind of erase that as part of your message? If you mm-hmm. do struggle with a little bit of that good girl syndrome? Sure. Well, you know, that is what I do in the first part of the course or the Mm -hmm. workshop is I help people to first see that it's been operating. So a lot of times we're trapped in our lives in meanings that we don't even know exist, or we don't even know there's an alternative. They've never been sort of articulated. We just knew that every time dad touched mom, she recoiled and scolded him. Okay. So that might Mm -hmm. be like, you've never actually internalized. That means that a woman doesn't like touch or doesn't like, you know, or a mother doesn't. So a lot of times these meanings exist in us without our full awareness. And so one of the important pieces, although it's uncomfortable and hard, is helping people to wake up to their notions that sexuality doesn't coexist with a good woman, their idea that sexuality exists for men. And so they should just be there as an accommodator that their sexuality makes them a threat or less than. So I'm just helping women to see these pieces. And of course, people don't like it. They start waking up and they get upset. Like, wait a minute, that's true. This is what I learned and it's cost me a lot. So it's not a fun day that first day. I mean, I've just, I mean, it's not horrifying, but it's just, it's challenging. And then you start looking at selflessness and how you've learned that virtue is to deny or, or put your development and your desires in the back seat relative to your kids and your spouse often. And this isn't the way that every woman does it, of course. But when one has operated from that frame, there's kind of no room. You're, you're operating in the support system model, not as an equal and a partner whose sexuality matters equally, who is part of a sexual partnership and sexual friendship. And so how do we create something that makes us both happy, that is desirable for two of us, not just husband wants, I resentfully accommodate and, you know, I'm grateful I have three days off, you know, that's the other model. And so, so it's helping people see those meanings and then helping them to start challenging them both in their minds, like how they've thought about it and in their behavior. So I can complain about not being treated like an equal, but what do I need to address in my life to operate more like an equal sexually, emotionally, in our financial decision-making, in our marriage? And that can take a lot of courage because often you're pushing against meanings that you internalized pretty deeply often about what it means to be female or what it means to be your mother's daughter, what it means, you know, to be a righteous woman or something like that. And so it's often about a kind of faith that, that to create true goodness and true strength and true joy, you have to step into an expanded identity, one that's inclusive of your pleasure, one that's inclusive of your joy, one that's inclusive of your value relative to your spouse, that you have shared value. And That sounds easy, maybe on some level, like, yeah, who doesn't want to be an equal? But it's hard because it's coming more from yourself and how you relate to yourself, not what you're demanding from others. Now, I mean, it might shift how you are engaging on issues in your marriage, but it's coming more from a deeper 
self-respect and self-valuing, that is a courageous choice. I think it is absolutely courageous. I think, especially when you've come from a mindset where, I mean, I think in general, sexuality, sex, it's such a vulnerable topic. Yes, it is. And so it does take a good amount of courage when you realize that what you've been taught Yes, and, and there's this disconnect. Um, mm-hmm. So for women who are having those realizations as they're listening to this episode, or um, maybe they seek out your Art of Desire course and they're having these realizations, um, what are some, I guess, what is the lowest effort, highest impact thing that they can do starting right now to improve their comfort with sexuality or to start making progress towards owning their sexuality? Mm, That's a great question. I mean, take the course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But let me think if I was just going to say like one thing, that is such a hard question because it depends a lot on where you are in that development. I think if you have really operated from the frame of you know, sex is for my husband. It's what a righteous, good woman does. I think the highest impact thing is to fully challenge that idea <laughs> because you have to start to even believe in the reality that sexuality exists for you too. Mm-hmm. And that pleasure, I mean, a lot of us are terrified of pleasure. We think that righteousness or goodness or spirituality is anti pleasure. And in my opinion, being anti-pleasure is as anti-spiritual as indulgent pleasure is anti-spiritual. It's the immoderation to pleasure that interferes with our peace and our joy and our ability to do good. So I know this isn't the concrete answer that maybe you want, but it's like you have to kind of challenge and sort of start to rupture or at least puncture some of these ideas that have often been operating foundationally and they impact everything. So when you're saying kind of high impact, if you start to question, like maybe my development matters too, maybe I'm not just here to sacrifice for everybody else's development. Well, you may not know what that's going to look like. You may not know what that's going to look like relative to your family and the fact that you're a parent of children or young children, you may not know what it's going to mean, but it starts shaping all the ways that you are thinking about everything, that maybe it's not a virtue to just, you know, be a martyr for everybody or Mm -hmm. just do what everybody else wants to keep the peace. Didn't work out well for my mother. Maybe I don't want to go down that road to just start to open up the possibility starts to change your thinking about everything. So while that's not immediately related to orgasm or eroticism in the kind of concrete sense, it's highly, highly related because you can't have a compromised self and have a vibrant, honest, intimate relationship. Hmm. Because if you're hiding in the frame of I'm here for everybody else and I don't even know who I am, you have no interest in intimacy. You don't want to be known because you have no self to share. It's too dependent on approval. It's too dependent on being seen as good. And so you may show up sexually to be seen as good, but that's not intimacy and that's not passionate. That's about earning approval still. 
Wow. I think that's a, a bold way of, you know, a bold statement. Mm. And kind of what I hear from that too, is like, you're going to show up and you're going to say, Hey, guess what? I'm really into this mm. and I want to start talking about it. And I want to start mm. telling you what I like and, okay. or that I want it more or right. <laughs> longer or, yeah, and just vocalizing. Like I, I get to use my words too. Like, I want this to be fun. I want more. And I want to try this. I want to incorporate this toy or whatever. Just opening that honest, vulnerable communication about your female needs. And that's just, and that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Yeah. And and it takes a lot of courage for the woman. It takes a lot of courage for the man too, because even though men who are often in our cultural framing, the ones that are pursuing, or they're, they're at least more legitimately desirous, like even though we shackle men's sexuality as well, we at least make it legitimate for them to desire sex. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they're in that pursuit, but they are often no more comfortable with true intimacy. They may want sexual validation in their wife. They may want to be wanted by her, but that's very different than I really want to know you wife. I want to know your sexuality. I want to know that your sexuality could outshine mine, which it often can with women because women's sexuality is quite remarkable when they do open up. And so there's a lot of um, courage in a couple that's willing to move out of that frame of accommodator and accommodated into something more honest, more real, more alive, but more uncertain often. And that is the alchemy of, or the kind of, what's the right word to say, but the ecology of, of good sex is that honest, equal, um, what's the word, spontaneous elements, but that takes a lot more courage because if you can just fall into, okay, I know this is how it goes. This is the way we do it. He initiates, I say, okay, (laughs) whatever we go through, we go through the routine and we can both hide in that routine and kind of get a certain amount of validation in the relationship by going through that routine, but it's kind of dead or it's lacking in something real and deeper and more honest. And so we all kind of want that, but we all, it's easy to step away from what creates it because it means tolerating an expansion of self and exposure of self. That's hard for both people in it. Yeah. I think that we like what's comfortable and we have to get out of our comfort zone. I think also it, it, when you have become uh, familiar with what works and mm-hmm. you're starting to make changes, mm-hmm. it might not mean that there's an orgasm every time. And yeah, that might be absolutely. frustrating. That might right. feel like that's not sex because of the way that we right. experienced it before, or yes. this idea of that we have in our, our minds of this is what sex is. And so I think if we can be okay, that it's yeah. going to shift and change and yeah then I, I think right. that will make the experience a lot easier when you are making adjustments. That's right. No, I absolutely agree with that because a lot of times when you make changes, your anxiety, the anxiety of both people in the couple goes up. Yeah. And when anxiety goes up, often orgasm goes down. <laughs> right. And so, yeah. So sometimes things are just not quite the same or you feel more uncertain. 
I mean, sometimes those changes are so amazing that they, it does feel pleasurable and positive, but I absolutely agree that that process of transition is going to stretch the couple, but the happiest couples go through those experiences. They let themselves be stretched. The happiest people in marriage talk about two things, the freedom to fully be themselves in marriage, right? Which is what we all long for, but often collude in not having. And also the sense of expansion of themselves in the context of marriage. And the way you expand in marriage is through honesty and through a willingness to be uncomfortable at times in the marriage because you're allowing enough of what is real to show up and shape the arrangement of that marriage. And that's uncomfortable, it takes courage, but it's worth the investment if you really want a home uh, with your spouse. Yeah. I, I really, that kind of resonated. I kind of had a realization that like, oh yeah, I totally kind of fell into that when I was younger. Like I wanted to be desired. I wanted mm. him to initiate. And if it didn't mm. happen in that way, then it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, you just don't love right. me that much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. yeah growing yeah. into that, I'm like, I'm allowed to initiate and right. it's, it's still right. fun. It doesn't mean I'm not desired and validating that he wants to be desired too. Right. Like I didn't, exactly. I didn't really no, think no. of that. It was very immature mindset of myself when I was younger. Like, yeah. what do you mean? Of course you're desired. Well, duh. Like, and I'm <laughs> sure that was his thought as well, right. but yeah, letting we really... us both. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say yeah. the men's course, I called the art of loving but I thought for a while about calling it the art of desirability, right? And, and women's art of desire. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't because it's too much of a mouthful. But the reason why is because I is speaking to what you're saying, which is we talk to men about desire and we talk to women about being desirable culturally, right? So mm -hmm. while it feels good to be desired as a woman, right? Usually it does. Um, we don't talk to women about, enough about desire, like, who are you? What do you want? But at the same time, like you're saying, we don't talk to men or how, we don't talk to women even about the importance of men feeling desired. They only are the ones who have to be sticking their neck out and doing the wanting. But so many of the men that I work with, you know, and the men in the course were talking about how much they longed to be desired, wanted, received. Mm -hmm. So we have this, that while I understand that masculine and feminine dance, and I don't discredit it at all, that when it's too rigid and inflexible, you don't have this reciprocity that's so much a part of good sex and a good marriage, which is both being desired and desiring. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting because as I was thinking about one of my other questions, um, I took it from the frame of... How do we teach our husbands the art of turning on the emotional connection first? Because I think for mm -hmm. women, a lot of it is uh, is about emotional needs being met so that that kind of turns us mm -hmm. on, revs up our mm -hmm. engines um, mm -hmm. in a mindset where we mm -hmm. can open up sexually. But from what you were just saying, I think mm -hmm. a lot of women, sometimes we need to be the one to initiate the emotional connection if that's what we're seeking. Mm -hmm. And if that's mm -hmm. what we need. So mm -hmm. yeah. what are some ways that women can rev up their own engines throughout the day to mm -hmm. get right. that emotional connection so that then they can initiate sex later? Great. Okay. Cause there's so many 
pieces there. I mean, one thing I would just start with is I think we do this thing too much, which is you first need emotional connection and then you get sexual connection. And Mm -hmm. the reason why I don't like it is it's kind of making sex the kind of stepchild of (laughs) this other thing where I think in marriage, sexuality is a kind of relating and the non-sexual is a kind of relating and they both matter. Are they engaged in a form of love and investment in the other person, or are they a form of use of the other person? Because you can use somebody sexually, but you can use them emotionally too. And a lot of women do that. (laughs) A lot of times we put it like emotional connection is good and sexual connection might be good, but probably maybe is, you know, like we have a lot more suspicion of sexuality. So I just kind of want to put those a little more level. Um, The other thing I would say is to speak to the first piece around men being more able to communicate emotionally. Again, I wouldn't really put it in that frame. And the reason, and I'll say why, because first of all, I think men are good or better at, or more socialized into communicating love and care and investment through their embodiment. Women are more verbal as a group. Men are more physical as a group. When we discredit sexuality, we really, I think, undermine a, a pretty comfortable and primary language for a lot of men. And so you can love and care for someone, for your spouse deeply through your sexuality. Now you can also exploit, take advantage, make it be about you. So I'm not making it any one thing because the meaning of what you're doing with your body and how you're in relationship to your spouse and her body is matters. It matters what the meaning of it is. So what I think a lot of women are talking about when they don't feel Uh, Like my husband, for example, doesn't spend a lot of time sitting around talking about feelings. He's, he's an introvert, an extreme Mm -hmm. introvert. He's been an engineer. Like he's not, you know, but I know that he really cares about me and I know he thinks about me and things that are on my mind or that are hard. They matter to him. Like he's aware of them. He's thinking about them sometimes because if he's trying to help me solve something and that knowing that he really matters that I'm sorry, knowing that I really matter to him is the issue. Right. So it doesn't require, let's sit around and I'm going to tell you feelings and you tell me, you know, how I feel, (laughs) you know, we don't have to do any ritual like that. It's that I already know this person cares about me. So I'm open to him sexually because I want, it's good judgment to want to be with someone who's invested in you. And I think that's what a lot of women are trying to figure out. Do you just want me for the sex or do you want me as a person? Mm -hmm. That's what's not clear in their relationship. And it's worth getting clear about. Is it that he doesn't care about me and I can feel it and I feel used when we're being sexual and or, because it could be both, do I feel afraid of sex? And so I turn it into, I need to feel in control by getting reassurance in this emotional frame, but I'm not really knowing who my spouse is and accepting his love for me. Right, because we can sometimes use our own version of control in this sexual emotional dynamic. To your third question, I would say, or your third idea that is, um, yeah, if you, it's sort of this same piece, like, I don't want to deprioritize sex. So what's the sex that I want to have tonight? What are the meanings that I like? What are the ideas that turn me on? What's something that I could be thinking about or doing that makes me get in touch with my own sexual self? The, what are the things that make me feel attractive, me feel desirable? You know, because women are taught so much about desirability, 
it's important to feel desirable. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to think on some level, it's good judgment your spouse wants you or else you're not going to believe them, even if they do desire you. Right. I think culturally, we really have to expand the idea of what constitutes desirability, because we often put it in this very narrow idea about aesthetics and size and all this, as opposed to being the kind of woman that you respect and you know would be good judgment for your spouse to want to be close to, that you know you, you know, offer goodness in the world and that you're strong and solid and decent and kind, right? That's a desirable woman, 100%. Um, At least what's desirable to a desirable man. Okay. So I think um, what helps me, so one question is what helps me feel desire and what helps me feel desirable, right? And so a lot of times women think of lingerie as being something they do for their husbands and sure, but I think more it's what you do for yourself and how you feel in your own skin. And if it means like putting on sexy underwear before he comes home, because it's helping you move into a different mindset and surprising him with that underwear and, you know, and doing things that encourage your sense of like, this is something that I like or I want. Um, and, and, you know, in the art of desire course, I, talk to women about like kind of what are the meaning frames that consistently are a part of the sex that they find most positive because there's often themes and if they can know those themes they know how to build on them or encourage them um you know so a theme i kind of like is something being forbidden right something being stolen you shouldn't have it you know so so i'm always have ideas that are more around like you know we're not really married and, and we're, you know, in this illicit love affair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Of course it's still John and it's still our same old bed, but you know, in my mind, it's much more exciting than that. (laughs) Yeah. So you find these things that you like, and then you can just create different iterations of it and you can play in this way with each other. Um, But I think it's also about, you know, a lot of times it's having, it's doing things like, You've got your day-to-day, where do the kids need to be? Who's doing dinner? You know, all the things that are very non-sexual. They're just about life and maintenance. They're wonderful things, but they aren't necessarily about sex. And, you know, sex is more about this idea of romance and partnership and, and illegal, you know, because when we put sex like so legal every Tuesday and Wednesday or Tuesday and Fridays, we have sex, you know, it just kills all of the spontaneity. So a lot of times mm-hmm. what some of my couples do is that they will take out a separate email, separate text, and that's their, and sometimes they'll put on different names and they have their romance and their flirtation and their sexuality going on, on has nothing to do with dinner plans. <laughs> okay, And so it's almost like an alter ego that allows them to step out of the mundane and the caretaking, you know, and financial decisions and step right into this you know, idea of this illicit romance that they're having with their spouse. And it keeps this idea of couplehood and romance and sexuality alive and almost protected from the stressors of running a daycare center. <laughs> so, and I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. 
I just recently, I'll just share something embarrassing, but, um, <laughs> I, my kids were out of town and so my husband had a, he's a pilot and had a 24 hour layover in Vegas. And he was like, Hey, do you want to meet me there? And I was like, sure. So I got in a little earlier than he did. And I watched his plane land and I kind of stood in like, you know, the doorway as he would come off the jet bridge. And I was like, pretended to like bump into him like, oh, I'm so sorry, Captain. Like, <laughs> sorry sure. to get in your way. Like, nice to meet you. Like, what are you doing in Vegas? Like, and he was like, so embarrassed. Like he like got all like blushed and like was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And but it was funny. It was and you know, I kept it going just like a little while. Yeah. And he's like trying to be like, this is my wife, guys. This is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a stranger. Awesome. But I was just like, so I don't have a hotel. Like, do you have like a really nice hotel? Room? Please, Where do they put stay? you up? Yeah. And he, it was fun for him. Like he, get, but he was awesome. definitely embarrassed because the like crew was around. He's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, uh, yeah. Another like real life example kind of to, that was kind of going through my head. Like, as you're saying, like all these things, I thought like, okay, as a woman, I'm like, mm, I am feeling it today. I'm feeling hot. I shave my legs. They are so silky and I am prepped. I like soaked. I am so exfoliated. I want this. <laughs> Maybe sending a sexy text like, hey, I got plans later. Can yeah. you do the dishes and put the kids down so that like you can meet me in like this, you know, in our bed yeah. at whatever time? Yeah. And that kind of setting the stage a little bit, it's not super spontaneous, but oh, it's still great. just like, what's up? If yeah. you scratch my back by being, you know, real <laughs> present tonight and helping me get this nighttime routine done, then like, ooh, we got we got plans later. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Just, that it's just exactly it, like good sex is is just a kind of grown up play, and so so much of moving into that is being accepting of sexuality in ourselves, the weirdness of it, really, right? Yeah, and being able to play with it. And it's like your shared secret. The two of you are like, you know, winking and nod, like going to meet you at this time. And um, I think that's a wonderful energy to bring into marriage. It helps you deal with the kids that you're throwing up in the middle of the night, <laughs> you know, when yeah. you've got this kind of sense of we've got this romance and partnership that is ours and that we play within it and we can bring our funniest and weirdest selves to it. Yeah, I love that. I love these conversations because every time we talk, I feel like my ideas and mindset are challenged. And I think that's a beautiful, great thing as mm -hmm. we learn and grow and embrace um, our sexuality and just embrace who we are in general. So mm -hmm. I know that we have a lot of listeners who are also seeking that challenge. And so mm -hmm. I want them to know where to go. So if you are interested in um, Dr. Finlayson Fife's different courses, she has a website that you can go to. The specific course that we have been referring back to uh, specifically in this episode is her Art of Desire course. Mm -hmm. And even just from this sample of that, I think there's a lot of nuggets of, of knowledge. Um, and again, you're going to get challenged Mm -hmm. in new ways. So 
we'll make sure that we put this in our show notes, but Finlayson dash com slash courses is mm-hmm. where you can find out where her courses are, um, where they're offered for couples, for individuals and the different um, mm-hmm. types. So mm-hmm. the other thing I would just say is that we have two retreats because of COVID. We just had such a long wait list. So we are doing a retreat in outside of Portland, Oregon, in Hillsboro with 60 three women, I think it is. And it's three days of like immersion in this material, lots of time to interact with me around the people asking questions, making it relevant to everyday life, video clips, all these things. There's yoga, there's like amazing gourmet food and staying overnight. So it's really fun. And we have just because we had a certain deadline, um, Basically, we have a few openings in each, the both the August and the September retreat. I don't know if by the time you release them, if we'll still have those openings. We just opened them up. But um, I think there's about eight spots in, in both the August and the September. So if somebody wants to be there in person, it's a great chance to get in. The more that you are at peace with yourself and the more deeply you know your spouse and the more honest that is, just the more alive it is and the freer it is and the more that it's okay to bring your full self and sensuality and response to it. You know, what often inhibits and limits is fear and anxiety and managing what's knowable. And so there's all of that. And, and as you grow in self-acceptance, I think a lot of people think, well, the best sex should be probably in your twenties when you're young. And, and that's true. It perhaps in terms of just biological responsiveness, maybe, but it's when you stop really caring what people think and you're at peace with yourself. That's when you have the best sex. <laughs> okay, so who knew that people having the best sex were in their sixties, right? <laughs> and <Yeah. so laughs> because you can bring more heart and more self to it and you um, know each other so well. So I think, and then I think women have tremendous sexual capacity. So I think as couples are more and more at ease in their own skin and have less anxiety, men's sexual response, men can prolong orgasm much longer. So they can give a lot more pleasure. It's men that are anxious that are having erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation. Women who are anxious don't orgasm. And so it takes forever, but not in a good way, not in a fun way. When both people in the couple are comfortable, then there's more ability for women to have multiple orgasms, to have much deeper, richer, longer orgasms, and to really enjoy the process of getting there right? All the sensuality and touch and care and love that's happening pre-orgasm. And you can even do things to draw that orgasm out over multiple days, meaning because that pre-orgasmic state is so alive and so uh, energizing and um, amazing. It's sort of like dragging out Christmas. And so you've got all the stuff leading up to Christmas wow. and can be so much a part of the pleasure. And then by the time you get to Christmas, you know, that's pretty great. <laughs> Do you talk about that specifically in your Art of Desire course? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do. I talk about it more in the Enhancing Sexual Intimacy course, the couples course, and also the men's course okay. of this kind of prolonging um, pleasure as a way of building more capacity. But pro- prolonging orgasm, I mean, putting it off to build more p- capacity to tolerate arousal and pleasure and the integration of that pleasure. But yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Well, yes, you there's heard tips it. and tricks. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you heard it here. Where to get that knowledge for all of our listeners. Go check out our courses. Yeah. All right. Let's transition to everyone's favorite segment. This came out of the mouth of my babe. All right. I'll okay. go first uh, today. So um, with our nighttime routine with Sawyer, um, we read books, we sing songs, we say prayers. It's fun. But one of the things I've said to her since she was pretty little, is I always say like, uh, Sawyer, you're my greatest joy and treasure. And the other night she turns to me and she smiles and she says, I treasure. <laughs> you. I, tre- I treasure. I love it. Yeah. Sweetie petite. <laughs> Jennifer, do you have Our, a, a story oh. that came out of your babe? It could also be your babe husband too. He's oh, yeah. like He's funny babes. <laughs> Let's see. I've got some good ones. So years ago, I have a special needs child and, um, and so we would sometimes hire helpers that would live in with us and just help do the therapy with Graham and just, you know, give us a little bit of extra support. And we hired somebody kind of sight unseen because we just really needed someone quickly and we trusted the nanny agency. And so when she sent a picture of herself, she was like, it was a like seductive sort of supermodel picture. (laughs) And so I, I download the picture or no, my husband did. And he's looking at, it's like, Hey kids, come and look at our new nanny, you know? So I'm like, looking at that picture. I'm like, this isn't going to be a problem, right? Like <laughs> we're good. Right. <laughs> but you know, um, the playboy model is showing up here. And so he, you know, but my husband's not verbal. He's not somebody who's like, Oh no, do not worry. Do not worry. He, he just kind of kind of laughed, but didn't say a whole lot. Yeah. Then she shows up and she's like long eyelashes and like everything like sensual about her. Right. So, yeah. so I'm like, I don't need to worry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so John just kind of knows I'm carrying this anxiety. Well, then she goes over to the piano. She wasn't there when I was saying things to him, obviously, but yeah. so some point later that day, she goes to the piano, she sits down and starts playing the piano beautifully and my two little kids, like my two and four-year-old went and sat on either side of her. Okay. And John is sitting there in the living room and I come and I sit next to him and he says, there's music in the house again. <laughs> <laughs> Sound of music accent, you know, basically implying <laughs> that I'm Baroness Schrader and the new, you know, Fräulein Maria sitting there on the piano. But that's actually the moment that I knew everything was fine. <laughs> that oh probably makes gosh. no sense to anybody why I knew in that moment that everything was fine, but it was him kind of poking fun at my insecurity and knowing that it was like something he could poke fun at was me knowing that all was well. So <laughs> that's a really good story. <laughs> I just saw the whole picture in my head too. Oh, it's hilarious. Oh. Uh, I'm running out of funny things. My kids got to like get going here and being funny here. But uh, <laughs> one, I don't, one, I don't think I've shared. Our mom was visiting us like just for fun. And she says to our son, Gavin, Gavin, I love you. And he says to her, Grammy, I love you too, but I don't want to babysit you. <laughs> and- and I think the context was that he didn't want her to stay right. and babysit 
him exactly. and like us to go out of town, which I think that he thought that's why she was there, like so that we could leave. But yeah, we don't <laughs> want to babysit you. So. <laughs> Tired of taking care of you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So much work, Grammy. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us again. It's always a real treat. And for those of you who are listeners that are close by who are representing Seattle, you should check out that uh, Oregon retreat. For other listeners who are interested in other courses and workshops, feel free to check out her website, finlayson.com slash courses. Thanks for joining us, babe. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.